0: Well, good morning, Light City. Uh, Wherever you are, wherever you're watching us from, I want to say a huge welcome. Uh, Whether in Canada, whether you're in the United States, or really all over the world, uh, we are so amazingly thankful that you have chosen to spend some time with us this morning. Uh, If you're tuning in, you are really catching us as we sort of turn the corner um, out of our January teaching series called It's Never too late. It's never too late. And before I get started, I got to give a huge, huge shout out to my man, Mr. Tim McMorris. Brought the word last Sunday. Absolutely outstanding, outstanding, outstanding message. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, I highly recommend that you jump on. Uh, it's in our YouTube channel, in there. Absolutely must watch. I mean, I love words. I love iterations. Uh, but I tell you, Tim, you are a word smith. Um, I was laughing, crying, clapping, shouting. Uh, you really had me. Definitely worth watching. Well, if you don't mind, I'd love to jump in real quick this morning. Um, I believe that the Lord has a really powerful, powerful message for us this morning uh, as we really make our decisions about how we're going to embrace, how we're going to set our lives for. This this portion of the year, but for the rest of the year, for all of 2021, and really for the rest of our lives in general. So uh, I'm going to ask you to do maybe something strange, given that the majority of us are meeting in our homes right now. Um, but I'm going to ask, if you wouldn't mind standing, uh, I'm going to read a passage of scripture this morning. Uh, it's a passage of scripture very familiar from John chapter 1. Uh, and it's talking about um, the greatest man who's ever lived, our King Jesus. And so I'd love it if you wouldn't mind standing with me. The words, you either have your Bible, the words are going to show up like literally right here. So you can read along with me. It says this, John chapter 1, verse 1 starts like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, this is what I want to emphasize on today, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. If you're in the room with someone right now, would you just nudge them uh, and just say that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. And, and I realized something, that as Christians, not only is it good to know that Jesus was full of grace and truth, uh, but as Christians, we we should be too. But so often, and so the stigma can go quite often, is that as Christians, uh, we really, we really aren't, sadly and unfortunately. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, Jesus in connection to humanity. And the title of the message today is that it's never too late for humanity. So Heavenly Father, as we spend some time jumping into your word, God, we know that wherever we are, whether we've been in our house for days, weeks, maybe you live in America and you're just out and about living a normal life, we bless you in Jesus' name as we're all locked down. But Father, we're asking that wherever we find ourselves, God, we know that you're with us. We know that your word tells us that your presence abides with us, in us, alongside of us. And so now we we know that whether we're alone in a room or in a crowd full of people, we know that you're the same God that's with us. We ask that as we open up the word today and as we talk about you, Jesus, as we talk about your goodness, as we talk about your nearness, we ask that not only would we grow in information, but that we would grow in transformation, that the words would begin to change us and change the way that we relate to humanity. And most of all, Father, we ask for our angels, and by our angels, I mean the Buffalo Bills. Oh, Lord, how they've been so good to us this year. We ask that you would stretch your hand of grace and mercy and favor and kindness upon them. Lord, we ask that as Josh Allen throws, Lord, let those balls soar on the wings of eagles. And We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now... Um, Many of you know this, but for, for years, and, and I'm going to kind of piggyback off of what Tim said last week, when we talk about uh, humanity, when we talk about countries or nations, uh, I'm really going to be collectively talking about Canada and the United States, kind of interchange. Uh, Because as the majority of you know, Canada really just is the state to the north, I guess. So we're going to kind of lump us all together because, you know, we live so close together. We really are uh, uh, surrounded by the same culture and whatnot. And and really for, for years, our countries were known as Christian nations. And they were founded really on Christian principles and a lot of the founding members and uh, founding people who would have established our culture and whatnot, really founded them on Christian principles. And and now there's kind of this strange concept, this strange uh, dynamic that's growing in our culture is that there's a growing number of of people inside of our culture who identify as as really what's being called post-Christian, post-Christian. Now. Now, this is not necessarily that they're agnostic. It it doesn't mean that these are atheist people. Post-Christian actually finds itself uh, in kind of this strange and almost unfortunate category, is that these are people who have had some sort of connection with Christianity. Be it, you know, maybe they were baptized. Maybe they went to Sunday school when they were young. They, They have a connection to Christianity, but they choose to reject it. It's not that they don't know, it's it's really that they just don't care. And we see this so often is that faith inside of our culture, you know, faith in in God, faith in Jesus, has really moved from this central concept to becoming a very fringe idea. That it it shifted from being something that for, for centuries it's been this overly positive concept, to now really being a threat or treated as a threat by some people. I'm sure you've seen this in, amidst all the, the craziness in the media today, but really that term Christian is such a loaded term. And if you find yourself in, inside of the category of Christians that would call themselves evangelicals, I mean, even more so, if, Really, the term evangelical goes hand in hand with concepts of, you know, hatred and bigotry, that these are really just a grouping of people who are overly judgmental. And, and I begin to think to myself, how do we faithfully represent Jesus inside of this post-Christian culture? Now, here's the deal. It's no secret that in the world right now, We are culturally divided. But I've realized something that a divided world needs a united church. And can I tell you, no matter who holds office, no matter how dark the world seems, no matter how bad things seem like they're getting, our mission as Christians never changes. And what is the mission? The mission is that we are called to live and love with grace and truth. And this is what we see in, in John chapter 1, verses 14 is we see Jesus as being described as the, the embodiment of this mission. It says it like this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. He was full. He was full of grace. And at the very same time, he was full of truth. And how many of you know someone who's full of something that's probably not grace or truth? And, and in fact, this word grace, the, the Greek word, comes from a word that I'm not going to say, but it literally means to be, to fill something to the brim. It means abounding in or thoroughly full. Like, have you ever had a glass that is so, so completely full that, you know, kind of has like that nice arc over top that, you know, this cup can't even take another drop of water. And, you know, even if you like jiggle it like ever so slightly, that water is going to begin to pour Over that, that when you bump into something or when you move even just the wrong way, that thing spills over. And this is what Jesus was like He was so full of grace and truth that even if you could just get around Him or bump Him or rub Him or get in His presence or talk to Him or be in one of His meetings, you are so overwhelmed by this grace and truth because He was full of it. He was full of grace and truth. Now, you might be asking, okay, Alex, you definitely are being really intense about this, that he was full of grace and truth. Why does this matter? And it matters because of this. Grace saves and truth frees. And here's the deal. If we're really honest with ourselves, we have not got this concept right. I mean, let me say it like this. Maybe you have but I certainly have not got this concept right. And truth is, is that like, if you don't like some Christians, I'll be honest with you, I totally understand that because half of the Christians out there drive me absolutely crazy, right? And, and, and this is because one of our biggest challenges as Christians is, is that it's, it's very common for us as believers— to lean too far in one direction or the other. And the truth is, is that Jesus didn't lean one way or another. It says that while yes, he was full of grace, he was also full of truth. And well, yes, he was full of truth, but he was also full of grace. There, uh, he was full of but he was full with the balance of both, letting us know that there is a necessity in the way that we reach the world where we need them both. And we all know both of these types of Christians. Maybe you don't know this, but you do know them. You, you do know people who lean in one direction or another, and, and I'll tell you how you know. Truth Christians, or as I personally like to refer to them as mean Christians, you know, the mean Christians, right? Where they're like, if the Bible says it, you know, you gotta do it, and you dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. And if you could just turn to Christ, and they're holding the signs up, you either gotta turn or you're gonna burn, right? We, we all have met one of those truth Christians. But, but honestly, here's the deal is that at the same times, you know, you, there's also the, the grace Christians. And, and if you don't know what I mean, I mean the hippie Christians. You know, they're like, oh, bro, like, totally, totally, don't worry about it. You know, it's, you're totally okay. I mean, we're all sinners, bro. And like, who, who are you to judge? And who am I to judge? And God, he totally understands your sin, bro. And and he loves you. So, so you do you and I'll do me and we'll just do it. And we'll just love God together, bro. And, And, and I've realized something that while we may laugh at these is that imbalance In these things leads us to problems. And really those two problems are extremely prevalent inside of our culture. And that is this. First problem is, is that truth without grace leads to rebellion. Truth or grace, truth without grace leads to rebellion. And and in this scenario where Christians get it wrong, I mean, it's probably the most observed inside of families is that You know, you you see in some families that have really, really strict, really, really religious homes and families where, you know, it's really just truth and no grace. It's like you know and I know there's almost a guarantee that those kids are going to grow up and they're going to be some seriously rebellious children. Why? Because rules are bad? No, absolutely not. But rules and religion without relationships leads to rebellion. And if that's not the case, you have problem number two, which, truthfully, we see more so inside of the majority of our culture. And that is grace without truth leads to relativism. What is relativism? It is this concept that you and I have heard is that there is no such thing as absolute truth. You you have your truth. And I have my truth, and and if your truth works for you, my truth works for me, and let's just do it as we do. That no one, not you, not the church, not even God, can tell me how I'm supposed to live. That it doesn't matter what I do, the objective of life is simply to be happy. And I'll do whatever I have to do in order to achieve this happiness, right? Like, as long as I don't hurt anyone, it just doesn't matter what I do. And and this is what grace without truth does, is is it produces a culture where there is no definitive standards of right and wrong. But this is the mission of the church, is we're called to live and love with grace and truth truth, because grace saves and truth frees. I need grace and truth. And so let's talk for a minute then about what is grace. What is it? The, the actual biblical translation of the word grace is defined as the undeserved kindness, favor, and good will of God. And And this is the beauty of grace, is that grace is something that is completely undeserved. it's, it's not something you can do to earn. In fact, the very moment that you can earn it means that it's no longer grace. It means that there's nothing that you can do in order to achieve or earn the grace of God. It's absolutely not about you. It's not about anything that you do. It's not about the rights or the wrong. It is the undeserved merit and favor of God that Jesus did for you on the cross. It's the grace of God that comes and saves, like the song says, a wretch like me. It reaches down into the pit and pulls me up, not because I did something right to deserve it. Not because I'm so good. It's because God is so good. Grace saves. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says it very plainly. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to achieve it. It has nothing to do with you. It is literally God's gift. In fact, verse 9 goes on to say that it's, it's not by works, intentionally so, so that no one can boast that they deserve the freedom or the salvation that they're in. Now, I want to submit to you something, and, and I can't prove it necessarily, but I don't know about you, but I don't believe that there's any coincidences that are in the Bible. I believe that every word, every period, every comma is put there intentionally to speak a truth to us. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, you'll, you'll see very clearly that grace comes before truth. It says that Jesus was full of grace— And truth. Now, like I said, I can't prove this, but I would say it's a very strong concept for us to understand: is that, is that as Christians, we're called to lead with grace, and then proclaim the truth. We're to lead with grace. We're to start our interaction with grace, but then not to stop there. Then we proclaim the truth. You know, I thought about something, and my analogy isn't going to work too well, because obviously we're not all here together. But if we were at church, and we we're all sitting in these beautiful chairs that are all around me, I would, I'd ask you to look down your row, and look down one way, and look down the other way. And, and I would love to pose this question to you. Who needs grace? Who needs grace? And, you know, maybe you'd look down the aisle, and you'd see, you know, the wife, the mother, You know, who's just totally overwhelmed with her life. Maybe she's got a bunch of kids and they're running crazy, running wild. And, you know, she's totally overwhelmed. She barely had enough time to do her hair this morning. And and then she sees that friend, you know, that friend, and, you know, she sees she's got everything together, and everything's all right, and and she's jealous of this friend, not because she hates her, but out of her own security, insecurity, she's jealous, and and so that jealousy leads her to gossip. Does, Does she need grace, or how about the man who's sitting beside her, the businessman, who's really, really good at business, really, really successful, but he's really successful because he's selfish, because he loves money, and you know, he's, he's greedy. Or, or what about the, the old lady who's sitting beside this man who refuses to forgive her mom for, for being so overbearing her whole life? Or, you know, then you've got the, the crazy college kid, you know, who's, you know, sleeping around and partying and living with no standards or morals whatsoever. You know, and then maybe on your aisle you've got that, you know, the hyper-religious guy. You know, the guy who just looks like he's got it all together and, you know, he's, he's just so holy and so righteous and he's just figured it all out. But at the same time as that, he's looking down the row with contempt and judgment. And I'd ask the question, who needs grace? And the truth is everybody. We all need grace. And, and this is where sometimes the church inadvertently gets things wrong. What I mean by that is that we find ourselves saying, you know, this concept, you know, it's it's kind of like these weird implied rules. You know, and and, and I can remember these rules growing up in some of the churches that I went to when I was young and you know there were just these rules. They maybe they were never spoken or no one would ever admit to the fact that they were rules, but they were implied. They were these unspoken implied rules that everybody knows but nobody would actually talk about it. You know, like the rules that's like, you know, like don't smoke. Or maybe it would be better to say, like, don't tell people that you smoke. Or And if you do smoke, make sure you, like, go out to the back of the church. And, you know, if you don't know where the designated smoking areas are, just look for all the leaders back there, and, and they will show you where it is, you know. that Just, you know, make sure that you dress right and get everything all buttoned up right. And make sure you're showing the right stuff and covering up the other stuff. And, you know, make sure above all else that you endure these long, arduous, boring messages, but do so with a smile on your face. You know, there's this implied rule in so much of church that if you behave and you believe, then possibly you could belong. And I mean, you can belong, right? You can belong as long as you behave. And now, here's the deal. As soon as you stop behaving, you know, we're going to gossip about you and call it prayer. And, you know, as long as you behave right and, and as long as you believe right. And, I mean, by believing, I mean as long as you believe what I believe, then you can belong. But, I mean, as soon as you believe differently, you've got to go to another church because you can't belong here. And this is not the gospel. The Bible says grace is saves. Grace saves. What is grace? Grace is creating a safe place for people to belong before they believe or they behave. And this is what it looks like to lead with grace. To lead with grace means that we create a space for people to belong regardless of how they behave or what they believe. Now, this sounds amazing to about 50% of you. And the other 50% of you are, you're like, so what? You're, you're telling me that like, since grace covers it all, that means we live without no standards? Now let's see the other side. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? And, This is the challenge that we all have is we understand what does it look like it means mean to be full of grace and truth. These people are coming to the Apostle Paul and saying, listen, you're preaching this grace message, but it really sounds that you're saying that nothing matters and we can all do whatever we want to do. And, And Paul comes in and says, yes, there is grace. But in verse two, he brings the truth. He says this, by no means. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see, this is the thing, is that we're called to lead with grace, but we don't stop there. We lead with grace and then proclaim the truth. And can I tell you, this is so important, especially inside of our culture, because the truth is, inside of a post-Christian generation, people are wildly skeptical about truth. And it's almost got to the place where people who proclaim to know the truth are viewed as, you know, like arrogant at best— dangerous at worst. And I think that's because we've come into this place of having a wrong understanding of what truth is. Because here's the the truth, is truth isn't restrictive, it isn't repressive, and it it isn't oppressive. And although throughout history people may have used the truth of Scripture to be restrictive, repressive, and oppressive, The truth by nature is freeing, liberating, and life-giving. And and isn't this the truth? is that in the Garden of Eden, we see the, the very first interaction of truth. You know, God has just created the whole world. And, you know, he's kind of doing the pat on his back as he says, you know, it was the even the day, and, and it was good. And he created the animals, and it was good. And that's kind of like God patting himself on the back. You know, no one else was around to pat him, so he's giving himself a pat on the back. And, and then God gives this amazing promise, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Sounds like one amazing assignment, but then the truth comes. And, and God says to them, listen, guys, Adam and Eve, this vast garden, everything in it, I did this all for you because I love you. But just don't eat. Eat of everything you want in the whole garden. Any tree, do whatever you want to do in here. Just don't eat from this one tree. And here's the truth. He wasn't telling them not to eat of that tree because he was trying to kill their fun or, 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 or remove their ability to be blessed or live a life of enjoyment. No, he was doing it because he was trying to protect them. He understood what was going to happen should they eat of that tree. And what God is trying to do for them, and the same thing he's trying to do for us, is give us the truth. Not so we could be restricted, but so that we can experience the life that comes from the truth. Because can I tell you something, church? Truth isn't just rules and morals. Truth is a person. It's not just a what. Truth is a who. In John chapter 8, verses 32, it says this, that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's life. And I've realized something, that grace saves, but truth frees. And this is my story. My story is, you know, growing up in church, you know, I I went to a lot of church. But I could just never get it right. And it was like the more church that I went to, that I did, that I tried, the more that I failed. And the more that I tried, the more that I failed. And the more commitments that I would make, the more times I couldn't keep them going, and I would go to a conference, and I would make a commitment, and by the next morning I would have forgot the commitment. And, and this was the thing, was I needed to understand the grace of God. That it wasn't about how good I could be or what I could do. That grace saved me. But here's the thing, I'm, I'm so glad that grace saved me. But I was, I was saved. But I was still a slave. I was a slave to my thoughts, slave to my actions, slave to my old intentions, the the parts of me of the old person that I was. And while I was so glad that grace saved me because I needed to be saved, I needed the truth to come because I needed to be set free. I needed to be able to sit down and read something and interact with someone who could tell me this is the way to live a better life. This is why we need grace and truth. Why we need to create environments of grace and truth, because, well, yes, grace can save you. Unless the truth comes, we could never be free. This is where we say, who, who is Jesus? Because this is our endeavor. This is why we show up. This is why we're listening. This is why we're here. Who was he? Who was this man? The, the Scripture says that he was the Word of God made flesh, full of grace and truth. I mean, he was—he was the truth. He was this chain-breaking, sin-shattering, intimacy-building, life-giving, truth, word of God made flesh to dwell among us. But he was also the grace of God. He was, he was grace. He was this undeserved, unmerited sacrifice and loved people to the place where it would even be considered scandalous. He, he was the God who comforted sinners. He, he was the God who loved the outcast. He was the God who touched lepers. He was the God who befriended prostitutes. He was grace and truth. Grace and truth. And See, this is what I realized is that, inside of this post-Christian culture, people aren't rejecting Jesus. I mean, how many of you would say that? That for you, who maybe rejected the concept of God and church, it took only one moment of being in the presence of Jesus. Post-Christian people—post-Christian culture is not a culture that's rejecting Jesus. What they're rejecting is this watered-down, distorted, hypocritical view of the way we're supposed to do things. But I've realized something that the mission, the objective is simple. We are to show people in the world around us who Jesus really is. Because I know one thing for certain. And that is if you see Jesus, you know, you see him as he really is, the God who's full of grace and truth. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will want to serve him. You want to follow him. You want to trust him. You want to entrust your life to him. Why? Because he was grace and truth. His grace will save you and his truth will set you free. So I want to pray with you real quick. I believe that every single one of us could find ourselves in this message, needing grace, needing truth. And I want to pray two things. I want to pray, one, that we would become people of grace and truth, that that we would truly become the image of Jesus that this world so desperately needs to see. But also I want to pray that wherever you are and whatever situation you find yourself in, maybe you're here this morning, and, you know, you, you've, you've become a professional at beating yourself up with the truth. And I'm going to pray that you would receive some of this grace of God. Or, you know, maybe you're like me, and you're really good at giving yourself grace. But, you know, it's time to buckle down and, and you know, let the Word of God, the truth of God begin to chip away at some of those chains that have kept you stuck. So I'm going to ask real quickly, just if you'd bow your head and close your eyes wherever you are, just for a moment of privacy and concentration as we, as we really begin to reflect internally, as we set our trajectory for where we want to go in 21, Lord, let it be first and foremost that we would be people of grace and truth. So Heavenly Father, I'm asking first, Lord, that you would change us, transform us, grow us, Lord, in, in the ways of grace and truth, that we would be like Jesus. We would be the ones who would lead, not with truth or grace, but we would be the ones who would lead with grace and with truth. And secondly, Father, I'm asking for every man, woman, and child under the sound of my voice right now who either one needs a little bit more grace or needs a little bit more truth. Lord, I'm asking that as we encounter You in this moment right now, as we encounter Your presence in our rooms, our cars, our homes, and buildings, as we encounter You, Father, You are grace and truth. I'm asking You, Jesus, right now, that as we encounter Your presence, Your person, that in this moment, you'd give us whatever we need. You'd give us that grace to let us know, it's not about you. It's not about how perfect you can be. I love you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you've said. I'm with you. I'm for you. There's nothing that could separate you from my love. If it's that truth that we need, God, I'm asking Jesus that you'd come with that truth. Deliver those words that are necessary to break us free from the bondage that we find ourselves in. I pray one more thing before I close. If if you've listened to this message and you're like, this is what I need. It says, you know, I've, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about God, but never in this way. You know, I've encountered religion. I've encountered tradition in ways that have really produced a disinterest on the inside of me. But this Jesus that you're talking about, oh, this is everything that I need. Scripture tells us very clear that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that we would be forever changed and transformed. We would enter into a relationship with Him. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer really quickly. I'm going to ask wherever you are inside of this room, inside of your home, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe that You are the Son of God the Savior of the world, sent from heaven to die for my sins. I confess with my mouth that you are my Savior and my Lord. Lead me, guide me, direct me into your truth. Surround me, embrace me with your grace. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.